Hey, thank you for uh, turning turning your uh, podcast style to the Weekend Barbecue Guru Show. I'm your host, Larry Brake, coming to you from the East Coast in Southeast Georgia. Today we're going to have a special guest. We're going to have Anthony Griffo from New Jersey with us, and we'll be talking all things barbecue, Western, Super Bowl, all kinds of good stuff. But I appreciate you coming in and having a seat and listening to our conversation. Um, it's raining here, so there will be no uh, no uh, smoking uh, of any kind uh, from the pit here. Uh, don't like to get drenched, but uh, I can tell you what I did last week before we get into discussions with Anthony. I did chicken wings and I did chicken legs and I brined them in that uh, brine sauce or, or mixture that I was telling you about uh, with the uh, kosher salt, soy sauce, sugar, water, and I made one big mistake. I didn't have enough of the uh, kosher salt, so I put in regular salt. And I should have halved what I needed, and it kind of overwhelmed the uh, the flavoring of the uh, brine. It was made it uh, good and and taste well, but uh, the salt just seemed to overpower. And I did use, granted, I did use a lower sodium soy sauce, but. Uh, that uh, regular salt just uh, overwhelmed it. So it, other than that, it was okay. Uh, it lasted a whole couple of days, but still, I wished I would have uh, checked my level of uh, kosher salt before I did it. Uh, I think they weren't, uh, it wasn't a whole chicken, it was cut-ups. Perhaps I maybe brined a little long too, but uh, as far as uh, the, the tenderness, it was very tender. Taste was just a little bit on the salty side, which was lesson learned for me. So with that, you, if you think that it's going too long, just because of your experience, you're probably right. That little voice inside your head most generally is correct. I should have listened, but I thought I would just roll the dice and see what happened. And I learned that it was just a little, little too much salt. So lesson learned. Next time, we'll not do that. We'll check all levels. Make that be a good lesson to make sure before you start that you got everything together. Make a quick trip to the store if you have to. But uh, in other words... Uh, all things barbecue, all things are good. So with that, we will be back talking with uh, my good buddy, Anthony Griffo from New Jersey. All right, welcome in, Mr. Griffo. Glad to have you on the show today. What's up, Larry? How's everything going? Doing well, doing well. Uh, wife has a little bit of a... COVID after effects. Uh, I 
kind of have some sniffles, but other than that, I'm doing okay. She's doing okay. And barbecue is good and it's always good. What say you? Oh, everything's fine here in Jersey. Um, getting ready next week for the Super Bowl. Yesterday was the NHL All-Star Game and the Senior Bowl. Today's the Pro Bowl. It's football. But I actually watched some of the East-West Shrine Bowl the other night. The Notre Dame quarterback actually looked good. Jack Cohn, who's trying to up his um, uh, draft status for the upcoming draft. Where do you think he'll go? I think he might go in maybe the third round. Somebody looking for a quarterback to maybe groom for a little bit. He's really not great on his he's, – he's, he has no mobility. So he's not even – I mean, everyone thought Joe Burrows had no mobility until the Kansas City game when he started running. And actually his legs helped save them in the first half for a little bit. But um, Cone's Cone's the opposite of Ian Book. He's more of that uh, throwback, 1980s pocket passer, stand there to the last minute and throw the ball. Maybe Green Bay? I don't know. They might try to, they might groom him for later on. You know, they might take the Aaron Rodgers approach, draft a guy and let him sit for, for a year or two. And then see what happens. Depends on where Rodgers goes. Or Pittsburgh? I don't know. Pittsburgh needs somebody because their backups are not. Um, that's the trouble. Nowadays, there are no great backup quarterbacks. At least in the 70s, you know, Bob Greasy got, got hurt. There's Earl Morrill leading them to an undefeated season. So it's backups are far and few between. Yeah. I mean, look at look what happened to the Giants. My Giants lost their quarterback, and who they have to go to? The star of North Carolina State, Mike Glennon. He proved to be useless. And then the other kid from Georgia, Frome, who came out with this huge reputation, looked like he couldn't get out of his own way in some games. So the college, as good as you are in college, the pro game is so much faster. Oh, yeah. So much harder. That's exactly right. So what are you cooking? What are you cooking today? Well, uh, today we're actually today we're actually going to do. Um, I finally got some snow. It's off the barbecue. We're going to do some Italian sausage. Oh wow! We're going to do a little. We're going to do a little sweet, a little hot. We're going to grill that up. I'm also going to go out there with. Um, we're going to take. A, we got a tenderloin of beef. That we we're going to decide to do on one of the. Um, on the middle rack, we're going to let that be, be just on the middle rack, surrounded, had the two sides not on. We're going to doctor that up a little bit. We're going to do a little bit in the frying pan, get it a little bit seared on both sides, and then cook it outside on the grill. Uh, roasted Brussels sprouts. We got a pan ready to put on the grill with some olive oil and some Brussels sprouts because I've learned to appreciate Brussels sprouts as a uh, – as a side, um, you're a better man than me. On the inside, Bernice is going to cook uh, broccoli rob, which is a combination of broccoli and spinach. It's an Italian vegetable, and that goes good with um, olive oil and tons of garlic. Huh. Actually, you don't even slice, you don't even cut, you don't even chop, you don't even crush. You just cook the cloves of garlic just the way it is in with the um, 
broccoli rob, and then there's a couple ways to eat it. My father used to love it. He'd take half a loaf of Italian bread, gut it out, pile it up with the broccoli rob with some hot pepper flakes, and boom, he had dinner. Wow. Hey, uh, tell me a little bit about your prep work. Tell me uh, what you do to prepare before you put it actually on the grill, the sausages and, and loins and whatever, what you know, whatever else you uh, do. What's your, your main go-to ingredients? Well, there's actually two ways we can cook the sausage. You can keep the link whole, or you can slice it down the middle and flatten it out like butterfly it. I like to do the butterfly. To me personally, I think you get more of the sausage in it. Um, basically, if you take the sausage out, let it rest at room temperature, and then my go-to is salt, pepper, and garlic. If not, you can always go to Italian seasoning, you can put that on it. On the tenderloin, it's basically just salt, pepper, garlic, and you cook it that way. Then we can do different. You have, um, when we when we do um, chicken wings, we can do, we do a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's marinated in teriyaki in the refrigerator. Sometimes we take, um, we go a little different. Sometimes when we do chicken on the grill, we, there's um a chain of restaurants called Olive Garden. I don't have any in Oklahoma by you. I mean, down in Georgia by you. But we use uh, the Olive Garden uh, salad dressing. It's good stuff. Which is, which is the best thing they have. The, the salad and the breadsticks are the best thing they have there. I mean, tell your audience, if you go to an Olive Garden and you really want good Italian food, don't go to the Olive Garden. But if you do go to the Olive Garden, don't get anything with the red with red gravy. Get something with a uh, franchise or a different cut, marsala. Don't get anything with the red tomato sauce gravy because it's not going to be good. But if you marinate the chicken wings or chicken breasts in the Olive Garden dressing, then you throw them on a hot grill that's, um, you know, spray so it doesn't stick, that stuff comes out really good as well. It's um, the, something about the, insta, the flavoring of it, it really makes the wings come out good. Uh, then you, then you, there's your old standby um, Frank's Red Hot. You can uh, marinate them in those if you want or serve it on the side. But basically, if I do my wings plain, it's the same thing. My go-to is salt, pepper, garlic, and a little heavier on the garlic. Bernice and I both love garlic. But that's the Italian in you, though, right? That's the Italian in me, yep. Huh? <laughs> um, like I tell my students, my grandfather came from Sicily at 11. Wow. To meet his brother all by himself. And he taught his wife, my grandmother, how to cook. Because she was still like 16 years old when they got married. So he taught her how to cook. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, and her, her fried meatballs to this day are the best I've ever had. Her secret, she told us all, was she kept wetting her hands. And she cooked in an old-fashioned cast iron skillet that she needed one of her sons to pick up for her to put on that stove. Oh, wow. Wow, that's great. She's still alive? No, no. My grandmother passed away, oh, I'd say about 10, 15 years ago. Oh. Uh, she, um, she lived into her 90s. My, other grand my mother's mother lived into her 80s. And neither of my parents are still around. It's just me and my brother. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, tomorrow's my mother's birthday. She'd be 84. She passed away in 2018. But uh, 
I feel your pain. I know how, how it is. My grandparents are gone too, but uh, it's uh, they, they, memories they are left, all there. Yep, they left us with great stories, great memories, and my my grandmother. I always asked her. I said, "How do you measure?" She said, "It's a uh, uh, you know uh, a a dip and a dash." I go, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Well." A dash is bigger than a dip, and a dip is smaller than a dash. How was it? <laughs> no, but she could probably eyeball it. She was probably that good. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. She, she, her, my, my uncle had a pool table in the basement, and we used to have 20 people for dinner on a Thanksgiving or a, a Christmas or just even on a normal Sunday. He got a piece of plywood. He measured it to the exact um, measurements of the pool table. He put the plywood on top of the pool table, covered it with two tablecloths, and that was our main dining room table. Oh wow, wow! All right, so we're we're got we have a pool table that we're eating at. What kind of sides do we have, like for family gatherings and I don't know holiday? Well, well basic uh, Sunday gathering was especially during football season. We start off with everybody would get two fried meatballs. From my grandmother and then the dinner was always um whatever pasta she decided to make that day and inside the uh, gravy that she made would be meatballs sausage sometimes neck bones sometimes a brajol which was a piece of like a small little flank steak rolled up with breadcrumbs and seasonings and tied together with either string or toothpicks and cooked inside the gravy uh basically that was it um but ricotta cheese and grated cheese, and then afterwards, after we were done eating, around halftime of the second game, usually the four o'clock game, that's when you would make your sloppy meatball sandwich. You take two pieces of Wonder Bread, and you have two crushed meatballs with some salad with oil and vinegar on it. That was your, your uh, late night snack, so to speak, during the second football game. On uh, holidays, she'd make a turkey or, or a ham, uh, she would have mashed potatoes, she would have some kind of vegetable, but the, the start would be basically a lasagna and uh, it would be um, monogot for my um, my Uncle George. For nine Italian people out there, that's monogot. That's the uh, the tubes filled with the regatta cheese that are baked with tomato sauce all over it. And basically, they didn't. we didn't go in too much for, well, my grandma made stuffing. So we would have stuffing, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce. It was more of, it was her, it was the Italian way of trying to be American. And my mom, who wasn't Italian, taught my grandmother, who was Italian, a lot of different um, American dishes. Like she never knew how to make pot roast before my mother taught her. Really? But she never, she never used it. She only used, it was only Italian stuff. My grandmother made. She never made a pot roast or roast beef or a chicken cutlets or something like that. It was basically all Italian food. Huh. So my German Irish mom taught my my father's Italian mom how to cook American style. Now your your grandfather was Sicilian, right? Yes. And he came over here and married an Italian lady. Well, he, he when he came over here. He married, um, he came over at 11. My grandmother was born on a boat coming over from Calabria. And then it was sort of an arranged marriage back then. And he married, yeah, uh, my, my father's mother and father were 
both Italian. My mother's family is German on her father's side, Irish on her mother's side, and her family predates the Civil War, being oh, in America. Wow. Wow. So when they met, it was, they fell in love. It was a little, my mother's family didn't, you know, they saw my mom was in love, but they didn't kind of, they weren't kind of happy she was marrying a longshoreman who was Italian from Hoboken. And he was Catholic when they were Protestant. So that, he, he got he got four strikes on that at bat, not three. Sounds kind of like a Romeo and Juliet situation. <laughs> yeah, but everything everything wound up okay. No no guns involved or anything? No, 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 no nothing like that. Oh, that's, that's good. So... Uh, but, what about a holiday? I mean, were there, what was your grandmother's, say, go-to, like, pie or cake or pastry or? Oh, her Anazette cookies. Yeah. They were too, she could have sold them. To, you buy them now when they're never the same. My grandmother used to have the entire, she used to have three tables loaded with them. And the whole thing was, she made the cookies. They were light. They weren't thick. And the whole key is the anisette icing. How much anisette you put in the icing? You didn't just put in, you put in the actual, the, the, the liqueur, the liqueur, the anisette. You put the actual booze in and you made the icing that way. My wife makes them sometimes for Christmas and they're the closest but I still said my, my grandmother, again, my grandmother had 50 years experience baking. So, so. so it was, uh, they, they were absolutely phenomenal. And she also made a thing called Struffoli with the countdown. Hey, uh, go ahead and ex ex uh, explain to me what you, what you just said. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, it's, the, it's called Struffoli. Yeah, a, yeah. Uh, it's an Italian honey ball with sprinkles on it. And they are so light and airy, it's like you're eating a cloud. Oh, wow. If they're hard, then if they're hard stale, then they're no good. But if they're light and airy and they stick together, you can't just take one out of the batch. You got to take three or four, and they're all hooked together with the um, with the honey. And those, Marshmallow? No, 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 just honey. Really? It's, uh, it's a regular, it's a little, it's like a, you're making a little tiny pebble of dough. And it's covered with honey and uh, sprinkles, red and green sprinkles. And they come out delicious. My my sister-in-law actually makes them, and they're much better than uh, store-bought. Hmm. You know, my grandmother, her, uh, on my dad's side, uh, her claim to fame was uh, red velvet cake. I have Ooh, never, that. never, ever to this day tasted anybody's red velvet cake that could come close to hers. I don't know what she did or how she did it different, but nobody came close to her. Nobody. Isn't that something? Nope. Yeah, it's, 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 and, and they don't have a recipe book, and they just sit there and do it. They eyeball everything, and they never tell you what's in it. And even if they did tell you what's in it, you can still never make it the same. It's just something about grandmas. They just, they just they're born to cook. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I think I was thinking about my mom's mom, and man, from the time I can remember her, she couldn't walk. She was kind of crippled up, so it was pretty, you know, pretty simple stuff. So she really didn't, I don't think, felt well enough to actually uh, 
make anything special except I think she did banana pudding pretty good. But that's kind of a southern thing. She was from like Texas and Mississippi. Speaking of Mississippi, I made an, I made a, a recent purchase. Yeah. I picked up a old Miss red football jersey. Yeah. With the with the name Manning on the back. Who? And I I got number eighteen, not number ten. Okay. Okay. I got Archie's old football jersey. Wow. Now I told you my mother is from the same town high school as Archie Manning, right? Yes, you have told me. I have never never heard of the guy or saw the guy until, you know, she always talked about it, but I never saw it. She followed Ole Miss, but I never did. I was always tried and true, sooner, you know, sooner uh, read. But uh, and then when he gave it to the pros for the Saints, I thought, oh, he's terrible. So I never really even followed the guy. He, 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 was, he was stuck just like um... – Actually, actually, the the the, the four contenders for the Heisman that year was Plunkett who won, Seisman, Archie, and I think it was Rex Kern out of Ohio State. Kern never caught on to a football team. Heisman had to go to Canada. Plunkett got stuck with the New, New with the New England Patriots who stunk, and Archie got stuck with the Saints who stunk. So they did not. Plunkett actually won two Super Bowls with Oakland. Feisman would win a Super Bowl later on in his life, and Archie was running for his life yeah. most of the time in the NFL. So again, it shows you that it depends on the, it. Also depends on the team you're stuck on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on the team you're stuck on because Feisman, no one wanted to take a chance on him. He had to go to Canada later on. He came back and he would win with um, Washington. Doug Flutie had to do the same thing. Flutie went over to Canada, became a superstar. Uh, came back moon. to came back to the came back to the NFL, and I still say if Buffalo would have played Doug Flutie in that game, it would have been no Music City uh, miracle because Buffalo would have been so far ahead, they would never Tennessee would never been able to run that kickoff back for a touchdown. That was cheating. That never that was illegal. To this day, to this yeah. day, I'm gonna say that was illegal. I think maybe the gamblers had something to say about that one. I know the only other thing I can say was when Starbuck threw the Hail Mary to Drew Pierce and still gives me shutters. If that was an offensive pass in the field, oh, it was. It was. I don't know what it was. If yep. the referees would have, would have had the guts to throw the flag against the Cowboys, that would have been Minnesota going to play. Actually, the Rams would have been coming to Bloomington the following week to play the Vikings, and the Vikings would have been in the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh was pretty tough, but I don't know that uh... – they would have beat. Uh, it, it, would, it would have been, I would, at least they would have been able to get there and not get it stolen because of a uh, mistake by the refs. I mean, I, I understand everybody's human, but seriously, shove the man away to catch the ball. Well, you know what happened to the ref that didn't make the call, don't you? Yes, he got hit with a, he got hit with a bottle from the stands. That's, that's, that's that, awful. That's, Yes, that's that's horrible. Um, that was horrible from the fans in the stands at uh, the old Bloomington Metropolitan Stadium in Bloomington. And also on that day, Fred Tarkington's father had a heart attack and died. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, watching the game, he had had a heart attack and passed away while the game was on. I don't know if it was from that play or not, but his dad did pass away that day. 
um, all those years ago. Uh, that was when football was outside. Nobody uh, played indoors. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, Super Bowl, what do you, what do you, what's your thoughts about uh, the Rams getting to play uh, in their home stadium, but being the visitors next week? It, it's well, it's the, uh, it's the flip of the coin. It's the way things, it's the way things are. I mean, it was. It was the way it was for everything. World Series. See, the only thing that does that, the World Series always used to flip. I mean, the NBA, the, the NBA and the NHL, it's whoever's got the home field plays. Whoever has the best record play has the home home ice or the home court. In football, it was just, you know, we switch every year. In baseball, it was the same thing. We switch every year. Now it's the, whoever wins the All-Star game, which nobody really cares too much about, but um, the Rams are good. Stafford proved he, he's always been a good quarterback. He was just hampered with Detroit. Now he has Cooper Cup, who's probably the best wide receiver right now in the game, but Joe Burrow showed his legs on Sunday, and he's got LeVar Chase. That kid is dynamite. I think he's going to scorch Jalen Ramsey a couple oh, times. Yeah, he, I, 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 I'm actually, without the point spread, I'm one loss so far. I picked Buffalo over Kansas City. And if Buffalo had actually played defense that last 13 seconds, I would have been okay. But I'm, I'm pulling for Cincinnati. Me too. Because there were other two Super Bowls. They wound up going up against Joe Montana. And Stafford's good, but he's no Joe Montana. Who is? Nobody. Joe Montana's the man. I mean, him and Branch are the only quarterbacks who have or four and zero in Super Bowls. Well, you got Tom Brady. Then, yeah. Uh, well, no. Well, Brady's lost three. But he's won seven, though. I know he's won seven, but again, you say this so he's lost three. Montana never lost one. Branch never lost one, and they're never in the conversation. Yeah. Oh, you want? And Brady's good, and Brady is. Brady is a good quarterback, but the three times he lost, the pass rush got to him. The first time, Steve Spagnuolo, the current defensive coordinator for, I think, the Chiefs, used four defensive ends. And they got to Brady in the upset when they were undefeated that year, and the Giants beat them. So anything can happen in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I go back to Super Bowl five watching every play of the Super Bowl. And there was the supposed pass that hit a cold, hit Mel Renfro's fingertips. John Mackey took for a touchdown. You got a rookie kicking a 30-yard field goal to win the game. You got a defensive defensive player from the losing team wins the MVP award at Chuck Howley, who's probably the sloppiest Super Bowl ever played. But it was raining that day, wasn't it? I don't remember if it was raining, but there were so many turnovers and penalties. It was horrible. And then 16-13, uh, Dave O'Brien, rookie, kicks the field goal. He was still a straight-on kicker. Yeah. They didn't use they – some people were coming in as the soccer style, as they called it back then. But he was still a straight-on, like uh, uh, Ludico Groza, the old Browns. Hey, uh, let me uh, say this. Let me uh, let me say this. Terry Bradshaw was probably the last multi Super Bowl winner who called his own plays. 
All these other guys have earpieces. Tom Brady had earpieces where he heard from his uh, play caller. You got to say and tip your hat to Bradshaw being able to read defenses regardless of what uh, his mentality was perceived by the media back in the day. If you remember, what did they say about him? Yes, the famous Hollywood Henderson quote was, he couldn't spell cat if we, we gave the scene a tape. Yeah, so the guy was sharp. Quarterbacks back then were extremely, I mean, you know, you had Montana, you had um, Stabler. You yeah, had but Bill, Bill Walsh Rich. called plays for Montana. Yeah, Bill, he did. Montana did it on his athletic ability, but Terry Bradshaw, people don't give him as much credit as they should. I mean, right now you see the guy stumbling in out of stuff on the CBS and or Fox, wherever he's on Fox, and you know, giving away his own money and stuff like that. But when he was when he was out there quarterbacking, there was nobody bigger or tougher than he would get knocked unconscious, come back in and start slinging the ball all over the place. Bradshaw deserves a lot more credit than he gets nowadays. I mean, yeah, Brady won seven, but he lost three. Bradshaw was four and all. Calls his and, own plays. Well, and calling his own plays. Ten going up against a lot fiercer defenses than they got today. Today, you, you put a fingernail on a guy, you get a penalty call. Back then, you're going up against, you know, the, the Steelers and the Raiders used to have wars. Oh, yeah. The turf. Those championship games, those regular season games, they were wars. You've mm-hmm. got Ben Davidson and Jack Tatum and Ted Hendricks across the way from Mean Joe Green and uh, Jack Lambert and Jack Hamm. Those were actual wars. That's when football was war. And I, I, I actually missed those days. You know, I remember as a kid, I think it was in my, maybe 1968, somewhere through there. I just happened to be watching the Chiefs and the uh, Raiders, and Ben Davidson and Otis Taylor got into a fist fight okay. brawl out there on the field. You know, I think what happened is Davidson dove at Dawson, and Dawson went down, and Davidson hit him in the back, and Otis Taylor took exception, and that was another one. And you really, I mean, I got you got to give Otis Taylor credit. There's no way in the world. I would rather face a grizzly bear with nothing but a bowie knife than fight Ben Davidson. Well, he was crazy, I guess. Crazy, crazy. Davidson was huge. You know, uh, some of those, uh, uh, like Roman Gabriel, some of those guys made movies, especially westerns, you know? Yeah, I I know the one you talk about. The undefeated, John Wayne, Roman Gabriel played his adopted... Um, Native American son, and Merlin also was on, was one of the Confederate troopers under Rock Hudson's command, and they were venturing into Mexico, and they were going to have um, the art of self-defense, and Merlin also came out, and the, the one kid, Billy Joe, goes, that's the biggest rib I ever saw, and John he goes, that's the biggest anything I ever saw, and he goes, he, and he goes, and goes, I'll write you folks, and the kid goes, huh, oh, thanks. Yeah, those Westerns, you know, those are, I guess, Americana through and through. You really don't, you don't really have the, I guess, anywhere else in the world, maybe South America, Central America, where the cowboy is basically the the hero. But uh, let's, I mean, I grew up watching like Wild Wild West. I grew up watching Gunsmoke. 
I grew I grew up watching uh, High Chaparral. Yes. And High Chaparral was one of my favorites, but actually Bonanza, which was on Sunday nights on NBC, that's how my father bought a brand new car. He went out and he bought a Chevy Impala because of the Chevy commercials during Bonanza. Huh. Now. The, the, the car itself was like $2,600. He bought a 68, or no, 67 Chevy Impala, put like 200 down and paid the rest off. Wow. You realize uh, David Dorsch, I think this his name, he started that Bonanza, went over to uh, High Chaparral and uh, got that going. And, and to me, that was... That was a different look as far as the typical TV Western because you had several plots going. You had Big Big John and his battle with uh, his wife because I guess she was really, I guess, like a trophy wife, not really in love. But then it was like a truce between him and her dad. And then he had, I guess, his brother, Buck, and then Monolito. And then the sun, plus he had the Indians who were always raiding uh, the cattle. So it, it, it was, it was, that was great. That was actually, um, Linda Crystal played his wife in that. And I, she was beautiful. She also was in, if you, if you remember the movie, um, she was uh, in the Alamo too. Yeah, she was in the Alamo and she was in two roads together with, um, Jimmy Stewart and, uh, Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark played the cavalry officer, and she was uh, kidnapped by the Indians, and he, uh, Jimmy Stewart rescued her. And in that, the the Indian that Linda Crystal had been um, kidnapped by was played by Woody Strode, who was actually in our favorite movies, The Professionals. Oh yeah, yeah, but he's also a uh, he also went to UCLA and played football. Yeah, and you know, in, in that backfield was Kenny Washington and Jackie Robinson. They yeah. were all in the same backfield for one year. And Woody Strode and Kenny Washington were the first two uh, black players to make it into the NFL. Uh huh. Uh huh. And Woody Strode also wrestled and was in another great Western movie, Man of Shot Liberty Valance. Yes, he was. But I didn't like the way that he was portrayed in that, really, to me. I know it's a John Wayne movie and John Wayne heavy lead there, but I I thought he could have he could have. Uh, yeah, I think maybe, I, but he John, John Ford did. John Ford gave Woody Strode the lead in a movie called Sergeant Rutledge. I saw that. I saw yes, that. Jeffrey Hunter and Constance Towers. That movie really put. I mean, you saw Woody Strode can act. Right. And that that had, and that dealt with a very dangerous subject. Uh-huh, in the uh-huh. 1960s. Here's a black sergeant accused of murder and rape who didn't do it, and it's proved at the end, but it was it really gave Woody Strode a um, a starring role, and to John Ford's benefit, he gave it to him. He loved Woody Strode. Oh, he's a good he actor, loved, very good actor. Yeah, I love watching he, him. Yep, he was, I thought Woody Strode was clad in, especially in Westerns, he really played it and in the professionals, he was good. Oh, he was awesome. He was awesome. Yes, with the, the, and I love, I love what's his name. Burt Lancaster's comment when he shoots the ball, he goes, how do we ever lose to the Indians? <laughs> how do we ever beat the Indians? 
Well, some of the tribes, uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't beat. I mean, no. The, the, the Cochises Apaches were never defeated by the white man. No, no. You know where Geronimo uh, died, right? I'm sorry? You know where Geronimo passed away at, right? Yes, Geronimo passed. Uh, was it on a fort or was it a reservation? Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Ah, Indian Territory or outlaw territory, whichever way well, you wanted to call it. Back then, it was just, uh, it was, I guess, Oklahoma Territory because the east part was the Indian Territory, Cherokees mm -hmm. and Choctaws and all that. But uh, where I grew up, grew up was, uh, was uh, well, I'll just tell you this. My ninth grade football coach was Quanah uh, Parker's grandson, wow. Quanah Parker. I don't know if I ever told you that. Yeah, no, yes, you have. And Anna Parker is the last um, is the son of is it Dorothy Parker? The young woman who was kidnapped, which is the basis of the movie The Searches. Mm. Now, Coach Cox, Quanah Parker's grandson, he was the type of coach that was hard nosed. He was tough, but yet he he seemed to be content with being a junior high coach as far as now where I grew up in Duncan, it uh, was a, was the birthplace of Halliburton Services Industries that, you know, uh, Cheney became the president uh, of the company back then. But uh, yes. there was an awful lot of talent that came through our town because of uh, Halliburton, like from all over. But yet he... Uh, he never tried to rise above anything. He was content where he was. He would like, uh, he would present gospel stuff to us all the time. Very, very well uh, versed as far as uh, athletics. And if he told you that he loved you, well, you didn't doubt it because you could tell by his, his, uh, his actions that he really did. And sometimes I think that's what kids today are missing that, that Guys were wanting to climb the ladder so far, so fast that they missed the in-betweens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I saw it firsthand as a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade basketball coach where the bigger schools, because where it's located and where I teach, it, the districts are some are smaller than the others. And the school I was coaching at, we were very small. And the other schools were much bigger. And they would... I mean, it would be a 40-point lead, two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they still got a three-quarter press on. Wow. And I'm like, seriously? You want to win a, a, an eighth-grade championship trophy that badly? It's like, I'm sorry. I'm here to teach the kids what to do. I mean, I was so I, we couldn't play man-to-man. -man. I actually used the Jim Beheim 2-3 zone all the time. Except for one game, I went to a box and won, but it was like, it was he was... Because here you are, eighth graders are getting beat by the other eighth graders by 40 points. Yet next year, they're all supposed to be freshmen together on a freshman team. How do you get that back? I don't understand why people have to try to... I mean, I, you're developing the kids for the high school. Shouldn't it be all about trying to win your eighth grade championship? Maybe you're a Coach Parker. That was his niche in life, getting the kids ready for high school. He did. Getting the young kids... And being that father figure, and being that figure that'll 
cement something in them that they can take to the high school level and be halfway there already. Hmm. So uh, if you was, if I was to say, okay, you got a snowy day, you can't, uh, can't get out. You've got plenty of uh, groceries in the fridge, ready to eat. What's, what's your go-to Western you're going to watch on TV and say maybe a movie? Oh, the, the TV is definitely going to be Laramie. Okay. Don Smith, Robert Fuller, who actually is still alive and I met and have autographed pictures from from a couple of years ago. That's my go-to TV show. My go-to movie, it's got to be The Searchers. John Wayne. John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter, Natalie Wood. Um, and also, here's a, the actor who played Scar is a German-born actor named Henry Brandon, who, if you look real closely, plays the old man, uh, Mr. Barnaby, in the uh, in the uh, Laurel and Hardy uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers with all the makeup on. Uh, so uh, what about a spaghetti western? Oh, definitely... I love Good Man, the Ugly. The storyline in uh, For a Few Dollars More is actually better. Lee Van Cleef tracking down Indio because of what happened to his sister. But the good, the, band, the, the red is cut of Good Man, the Ugly with everything in it, especially Clint Eastwood diving at the boots that he thinks are um, too cold, but he's not even in them. That somehow is, that's your quintessential that is your spaghetti western. I will give uh, ex, um, honorable mention to uh, Duck You Sucker with Rod Steiger and James Coburn, who used dynamite in the movie. You know, uh, I I've seen that. I don't know that uh, it's uh, one of my favorites, but uh, I want to bring up this one movie that. Uh, Probably I saw as a kid at the theater, uh, you know, Spaghetti Westerns, a lot of the uh, theme is revenge. But uh, one of my all-time go-tos, other than the Clint Eastwood variety ones, is uh, Death Rides a Horse with uh, Lee Van Cleef, John Philip Law. You have any thoughts on that one? I, I love that movie. I thought that was great. I, I saw that a couple times on um, the Western Channel that I have, and that's TCM and the Western Channel, my two favorite channels, and uh, also um, MeTV, because they show a lot of um, Westerns during the day. Uh, but Death Rides a Horse, uh, that ranks up there as one of the, the more provocative spaghetti Westerns, because you're thinking, you think a lot, you don't know the actual what's going to happen until the very end. Well, you know, one of the I things one of the things about it that makes it so, I guess, intriguing is the music. The soundtrack is so it's it's not melodious at all. It's it's rough and it's seems like it's like on the wrong beat, and it just it's, it it just uh, would be more disruptive than I guess melodious. And if you watch it, and then you just hear the difference, the way the guy, I guess it's Marconi, right, that wrote it? I, I, if it, if it it's Ennio Marconi, who actually won an Oscar finally 
for that Kurt Russell movie, um, eight people or I, I forget the name of the movie, but he finally won a movie, won an Oscar for um, best music, best musical score. I don't know how he didn't win it for the, any of the spaghetti westerns because you can have a concert of just the the, the trilogy, the man with no name, men with no name trilogy. You can have a concert with just that music, and people will pay to go hear a symphony orchestra do that. I mean, I know I would. Oh yeah, that would be. That would be awesome just to listen to just the different, uh, I mean, Magnificent Seven, listen yes. to uh, just, you know, all, even uh, the uh, Sons of Katie Elder's good tune. But, I mean, to me, a good, a good Western always has a good soundtrack. And with the Spaghetti Westerns, some of the, the soundtracks just just add that much more to the tension of the movie. And, and you remember that part where, uh, where, oh, uh, John Philip Law realizes that uh, Lee Van Cleef was one of the ones there that night when his family was killed. Remember that, that look of shock that he had? You know he's wanting to kill him. You know he's wanting to kill him just because of the, the anger. And, but he didn't. He let him go. And that was kind of a shocker. And I... I I think it's because he realized he might not have been one. I don't think he. I don't think he killed anybody. And I think back in John Philip Law's mind, the fact that he saved his life a few times, even did even things up. I mean, it ended up, I mean, if he had killed them, I don't think the movie would have been as good because the ending would have been. I, I think by letting them ride away, I think it was a better ending. Well, it also also allows for redemption. Yeah. You know, a redeeming uh, character, guy who was was in a bad situation, didn't take part, but yet redeemed himself to, I guess, the surviving victim. And, you know, sometimes that's what's missing in today's world is uh, we have a lot of anger. We have a lot of uh, people wanting to get even, but we don't have a whole lot of ways to, to get, you know, for redemption, you know. People don't forgive as easy as they used to forgive people, don't, don't you think? No, yeah, and especially nowadays with uh, with the COVID and everything, you find more road rage, you find more, um, I myself find more people wanting to speed to get where they're going and lack of respect on the roads, and even lack of respect in stores and places, just a... a People are just forgetting how to be people. They you know, really are. They're, they're forgetting how to be gracious. They're forgetting how to be uh, humane. I guess that's the word. You find it's a lot of just me, 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 and I don't care about anybody else. Hey, uh, hey uh, another one that is kind of good is, I'm, I'm not sure that it is Spaghetti Western. It might be, but it, but then it might not be. Because, you know, after uh, the Spaghetti Westerns, Hollywood tried to copy it. But uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah with uh, Shirley MacLaine, and she, like, plays this nun. But she's really a, what, a prostitute? Yeah. And tricks, tricks Clint Eastwood? Yeah, they're helping uh, uh, a revolution down in Mexico. Yeah. Now, was that a Spaghetti Western? It, it had all the earmarks of one, but I think it was American-made. Because it had the sound of a spaghetti western with the uh, the mule sound, I guess, in the music. 
Yes, they they really, they tried to um, they tried to Hollywoodize some of them. I mean, the, the one that the one that always shocks me is Once Upon a Time in the West because Henry Fonda of all people plays a bad guy. Oh. And I mean a bad guy. But he was a bad guy in spaghetti westerns, wasn't he? Yeah, he no well in, in um in some of them with uh, uh, in some of the movies with um Charles Bronson. No, no, Charles Bronson was in um once once upon a time in the in the West. There was a couple other movies where he was in it. Um, Terrence Stamp. Uh, my name it, is Nobody. Yes, and it was like he was kind of like on the edges of a bad guy, but in Once Upon a Time in the West, he truly was like he was a mean bad guy. You know, that's kind and of... It was like so out of... Like, Henry Fond is never the bad guy. He's always the good guy. Oh, here in the States, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's always... The, I mean, Oxbow Incident, he's the good guy. Um, Cheyenne Social Club, he's the good guy. Um, my darling Clementine, he's Wyatt Earp. He's the good guy. Um, which brings me to one of the best... They, uh, Walter Brennan plays Old Man Clanton, and he goes, oh, I guess you're going to California. He goes, nope, i got a job here in town. He goes, John, what are you doing? He goes, I'm marshalling. He goes, marshalling in Tombstone? He goes, I want to wish you luck, Mr. Mister." And John, uh, Henry Fonda goes, Erp, Wyatt Earp. Oh. And the look of Walter Brennan's face is classic. Huh. It's like, oh, my God, I made Wyatt Earp my enemy. Uh-oh. So, uh... What do you think about, oh, you ever seen uh, Texas Across the River with Dean Martin yes. and Elaine Delone? Yes, and Joey Bishop is an, is a Native American. So you like the comedy of Westerns or do you like the serious Westerns? I like, I like the serious Westerns. I mean, Texas Across the River is okay. Slapstick, um, Fall for Texas. With Dean Martin and uh, Frank Sinatra, with a cameo by the Three Stooges, was like almost slapstick, especially the way Charles Bronson keeps coming back at the getting shot. Uh, North North to Alaska was sort of like a comedy. I like westerns with comedy in it, which brings me to Rio Bravo, which I think Walter Brennan as Stumpy is probably the best use of a comedic talent. Besides Gabby Hayes and anything Gabby Hayes is in, because he, he was the start of the comic sidekick, and he was a sidekick for everybody. Well, what about Arthur Honeycutt in uh, El Dorado? Yes. Um, Bull. He, Arthur Honeycutt's good. He's a character actor, good in anything. He was great in um, uh, Across the Wide Missouri with, um, I think it was... Kirk Douglas and Dewey Martin. They were fur trappers on a riverboat. And he was also good in... Um, you ever see the, the one about the, the rodeo with Robert Mitchum and mm, Arthur Kennedy? Don't think so. Oh, it was, it was it was a good movie. That was a good one. But Gabby Hayes actually was in early 1930s movies, the B-movies. He was always a sheriff and John Wayne was in it as... Either somebody who's coming back east or an uh, uh, undercover federal agent. And that was when Gabby Hayes didn't have the beard. 
Hmm. He had the, he had the beard on when he was um, Hopalong Cassidy sidekick. Well, here. Let me, let, me, let me ask you this. I don't mean to interrupt you. Let me ask you this. So, so uh, a three, the three real Lobo, uh, real Bravo, and El Dorado uh, rank them for me in your 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 rankings there. Which one's the best? Uh, real Bravo still has to be number one because it's it's the first. Um, I actually like Real Lobo. And I, I would probably go in the order that they make. Uh, Real Bravo, El Dorado, Real Lobo. They all have their good points. Um, I'll tell you one thing, out of all three of the movies, I know the femme fatale is Angie Dickinson, and then it's um, uh, the, the, the woman from Love Story. Uh, no, the woman from Summer of 41. Um, Jennifer O'Neill. Jennifer O'Neill. Yeah, but... But Michelle Carey is the is probably the prettiest of them all. Michelle Carey, you know how many yeah, dreams I had about that woman? Yes, Michelle Carey. She is number one out of the four women in those three movies. I would rate her number one. You know, she and, was a singer. Yes, she did a. Um, she was with Elvis in a movie. I don't know if it. I forget the name of it, but she was in an Elvis movie. And she was gorgeous. Oh, there's something about her voice that, oh man. Yeah. Hey, Absolutely gorgeous. You, you remember in uh, The Professionals where they're talking about uh, that woman? And uh, I think it was Burt Lancaster says uh, some women have the ability to turn uh, boys into men and then men back into little boys. Yep, Claudia Cardinale. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what Michelle Curry would probably do to me. Turned me back into a little bitty boy. <laughs> she was a man. She was beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And, yes, and the the, um, the leather pants did not detract from her figure. Oh, no. No. And she was, man, she was a good actress, too. I mean, not just yes. face, but, man, she could uh, carry a scene. Yes, carry she could. a scene. But uh, if he was to uh, rank... Your favorite, oh, say, uh, stars, cowboy stars. Who's the best uh, cowboy actor? You think your top oh, top guy? My my top guy is always going to be John Wayne. Okay. My top my top guy is John Wayne, but my 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 top five would be John Wayne, would be Joe McRae, Randall Scott. I'm going to throw Robert Mitchum in there. Blood on the Sun was a, uh, no, Blood on the Moon was a great movie. And I'm going to throw, and I'm going to put in, I'm going to make it six because Audie Murphy, I loved Audie Murphy's Westerns. And I'm going to throw somebody in there that was movies, radio, and TV. William Boyd, Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, wow. Now, see, my top guy is a little different than yours. My all-time favorite uh, uh, cowboy western guy, Gary Cooper. Mm -hmm. And then probably Eastwood. I liked his, uh, I guess, the spaghetti westerns. Uh, and then probably uh, John Wayne, third. 
and then I would probably go uh, uh, Lee Marvin next, and then probably uh, uh, Lee Van Cleef. Top five for me. Interesting. You can't you can't go wrong with any of them. No, I mean that's just I like you, re you really can't go wrong with any of them. And I mean, if you want to, you can throw in. I mean, Alan Lamb became the superstar in Shane. I mean, you even want to go, you can throw in um, William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. Ernie Borgnine played lots of Westerns. He was in the Wild Bunch too, right? Yes. He was in, yes, he played Dutch in the Wild Bunch. He was in uh, The Last Command with Sterling Hayden about Jim Boo and the Alamo. He was in um, The Bandlanders with Alan Ladd. He played, he played a cowboy a few times. Jubal. The famous movie with Glenn Ford and Rod Steiger. He was in. He was in pretty good. He was in a bunch of uh, westerns. Ernie Ball guy. Well, you never expect would be in westerns, but he was. Uh, Vera Cruz with. Uh, hey, uh, hey, uh, hang on here, hang on here. I don't. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, this crossed my mind. Uh, what do you think about these uh, remakes, like The Magnificent Seven? They redid. I guess Magnificent Seven is a remake of a Japanese. Uh, movie, but they took the story, and I mean, they to me they butchered it with all the sequels. But the original story was, I thought, was great. But uh, the yeah, newer one, yeah. Aristotle's Aristotle's Seven Samurai was the original. So I actually watched with subtitles, and I have to. The, the Magnificent Seven is it's is great. I mean, standalone, it's great. Um, the set, the first sequel. With Robert Fuller, Robert Fuller taking um, Steve McQueen's place was okay. The other two were just let's cash in on the publicity of the movie. But the newest remake, I I wouldn't waste my time. I also didn't waste my time with, and I like uh, Jack Bridges, but I'm sorry, you, why bother remaking um, True Grit? I'm sorry, you can't. You really can't. You have a movie, and if, if you're not going to follow it line for line, why bother? Remakes never... The only time in the history, of, to, to me, the only remake I thought was better than the original was An Affair to Remember with Deborah Carr and Cary Grant, and that was it. I've never seen a remake better than the original. I'm sorry, Western, musical... Uh, comedy, ain't nothing is better. Because you're, 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 the stars of the movie are ingrained in you. Why are you going to try to do it? They tried to make a TV show of Casablanca in the 70s. No, early, but yeah, in the 70s. David Soul was going to play the Humphrey Bogart part. Why? <laughs> well, they kind of did with uh, Sam, didn't they? On uh, Cheers. Wasn't Cheers kind of a mock of uh, Casablanca, him and Diane? Yeah, I... Possibly. And then you say to yourself, why bother? Yeah. It's like, what, what, it's like the King Kongs. Where are you going after the 33 version? I mean, where exactly are you going? Yeah. Hey, that reminds me. What's the all-time movie, I guess, character that's been made made a movie about more than anybody. You know, Ralph Ann? I heard this a long time ago and I've never forgotten it. 
White Earth? Nope. I don't know. Godzilla. Ah! Wow! Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, if you throw in all of those movies from Tojo theaters in, um, in Tokyo, I mean, as a kid, I, I mean, you grew up watching those movies on either the 430 movie from Oscar Week or... It was like Godzilla vs. Everything. Everything from the sea monster to Mega Godzilla to the monster made out of smog and Godzilla fought everybody. Mothra, Rodan, Keith the three-headed monster. He fought everybody. Oh, yeah. And then aliens and all that kind of good stuff, too. Yep. Well, somebody, whoever's, whoever is in charge of that Godzilla series, uh, man, they got to be creative, don't they? Oh, yeah. Come up and with all the different stuff. It's, it's, it's a fun hour and a half when we were kids. Uh, a fun hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> all right. Top TV Westerns. Top five. Uh, Laramie. Okay. Gunsmoke. Okay. High Chaparral. Okay. Wild Wild West. Okay. The Virginian. Okay. Now, uh, let's see. I'm going to disagree with number one. My number one would be probably Wild Wild West. Number two, I would probably say High Chaparral. Number three, maybe Alias Smith and Jones. Good. That was a good one. Number four might be... Well, I don't know how I miss not putting Maverick number one. That's got to be close to one too. And then fifth, maybe uh, uh, uh fifth. Hmm. Well, I don't know. May just have to stay stick with uh, four and maybe maybe be able to rearrange. You know, some of those westerns like Gunsmoke that last so long. To me, there's there's some time periods that the episodes were, man, a hundred times better than what they were. Like for instance, Gunsmoke, I liked it better with uh, Burt Reynolds and Festus uh, going after each other. Yes. You know more than I did like say Festus and and Newley, or even Doc and uh, Chester. I thought. Uh, yeah. Burt Reynolds was a very, very underrated uh, actor there on that show. He should have gotten more TV time, FaceTime. Yeah. No, I, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Dennis Weaver, Burt Reynolds, um, who played Festus? Ken Curtis. Yes, Ken Curtis, who actually was a very good singer. Oh, yeah. Very good singer, Sons of the Pioneers. Uh, then it was uh, was uh, Roger Ewing was Ted for a while, and then Buck Taylor was Newley. And I think those are the only two still alive. Oh, really? From the Ted. Was is Buck Taylor and um, Roger Ewing as Newley? And my wife and I watched a soap opera called Young and the Restless, and one of the actresses been there for a long time, Jess Walton, she remembers her Gunsmoke days. She was actually she actually marries. 
newly in a cup in one episode. And she loves horses and ranches. She loved her time on Gunsmoke. Hmm. And I thought Gunsmoke was was really great. And the one I, the one I, I, I liked and disliked at the same time was Bonanza. The thing I didn't like about Bonanza was nobody had bullet loops in their gun belts. What happens when your six-shooter was done? <laughs> Where was your extra ammo? If it was on your, if it was in your saddlebags, you ran a lot because your horse was ten feet away. So if you any every every episode of Bonanza from the beginning to end, there are no bullet loops on their gun belts. Where do they keep their extra bullets? Well, I guess maybe they're good shots. Didn't need them. I, yeah, probably. And, and I and I did. You remember when? Do you remember when Bonanza had a uh, guest starring appearance on the Flintstones? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, that was great. And and uh, what's his name? Bonnie kept talking like uh, Chester, uh, wasn't it? Chester from Gunsmoke. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you know, Bonanza. That's another one that uh, when they first started off, they were actually uh, the bad guys of the area. They People were against them because they had so much, I guess, so much land, and they basically controlled the water rights, didn't they? Originally they, in Bonanza. Yeah, they were like the, they said. The, the, I read somewhere in a pilot episode. They were like yelling all the time, and even the brothers were against each other because none of them shared the same mother. Right. So it was like like animosity, and then they looked at it and said, "Wait a minute, this family's supposed to be loved." We can't have this. And they, they toned everybody down. But if I was an insurance agent, I would I would really investigate Ben Cartwright. Three wives and they all mysteriously died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were from three different parts of the country too, so Yes. Adam he was a he was a sea captain from New England and then he moved out to the West and it was Inga it was not Inga Stevens. It's actually the same woman who would play the Swedish housekeeper on Benson was Ben Cartwright's second wife. And that would have been Haas's mom? Yes, Haas, because Haas's real name is Eric. Okay. And then the third wife was a... New Orleans wife. dancer, wasn't she? Yes, New Orleans. I don't know if she was Cajun or not, but I, she was from New Orleans. And there was an episode where... Jane Greer, who was in Out of the Past with uh, Robert Mitchum, she plays a woman from New Orleans, and Joe asked her, keeps asking, did you know my mom? And it wasn't his mom, but she did know her mother, his mother, but he was like full fur, and she kind of like, you know, had to throw him off at the last minute and say, oh, I'm used to my wild side, I can't be pinned down with a baby like you, and some stuff like that. I think uh, maybe a uh, favorite cowgirl, maybe uh, uh, co-star. We talked about Michelle Curry. You know, Jennifer O'Neill was in some. Uh, uh, Angie Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, anybody? Uh, anybody else come to mind? Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara was great. With John Wayne in the um, in McClintock, of course, uh, with um, Big Jake. Big Jake. With, she wasn't in it long, but she was very powerful. And of course, Rio Grande, when his son uh, fell out of West Point and joins his father's outfit. 
Um, I actually like um, little little odd off, but Joanne Drew, Pete Marshall's uh, sister, Pete Marshall from um, Hollywood Squares. She was in Red River, opposite. Um, oh, the guy from from here to eternity. Uh, Montgomery Clift. Okay. She was opposite Montgomery Clift, and in she wore a yellow ribbon. She was uh, opposite John Agar, who could have had a better career, but he let it slip through his fingers. I don't know if it was alcohol or not wanting to, to just bad acting, but he had a real good career. I mean, John Wayne had him in She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. John Wayne had him in Sands of Iwo Jima. And he, saw, he just seemed to, like, fall off the face of the earth hmm. after a while. Hmm. All right, who's who is your if you were going to ride a horse? Because when I was a kid, we used to talk about we were like riding the trail. We used to describe oh. our horses uh, to each other, and a lot of guys would say, "I would want one like uh, Little Joe, which we all know was a paint." Yep. Uh, John Wayne, which was more like a man, like. A, Thoroughbred, I guess, because he's so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would probably go paint myself. What about you? Oh God, if I had a choice to ride any horse, I'd probably want to ride uh, Hopper. Who? The, the white horse of Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Kind of like the Lone <laughs> Rangers too, right? Yeah, that, that, that's how that, it, that's how it was great. I mean. Lone Ranger rode, was it Champ? No, not Champ, wasn't it? Was that Gene Arch? Was it? No, Gene Archer's was Trigger. Silver, 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 silver. So it was uh, Lone Ranger had Silver, Roy Rogers had Trigger, Gene Archer had Champ, Tony Mix had, Tom Mix had Tony, hmm. and uh, what's the name? Hopper and Cassidy had Topper. And John Wayne had Bo in uh, True Grit, right? Yes. Oh, only Bo was the only time I wanted to curse you. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. That's a classic line. Yep. Hmm. So uh, well, I've only done horseback riding twice, and I really enjoyed it. My sister. I like to do more. My sister, I told you, had horses, but uh, she got rid of all of them because they got so expensive. She's only has one left now. And he's a, uh, I think he's a little paint, maybe. I'm not sure. But uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, she did rescue horses and she took in a bunch and she she retired and had to uh, cut back. So it's kind of a sad thing. They loaded a bunch of uh, them up to, uh, to go elsewhere and this one wouldn't go, would not leave. So she kept it. So... So I guess she stuck with the one. Out of Super Bowl commercials, my favorite. It's got to be the Budweiser one where the horse, uh, the dog gets gets lost and coming back and the wolves are chasing him and the horses break out of the barn and go save him. That's awesome. That commercial. The horses, dogs, cats, animals. I'm sorry. I'd rather spend my time with some animals rather than some humans. You got a good heart there. Good heart. Good heart. Hey, uh, 
let's uh, let's turn our attention a little bit to uh, the big game coming up next week. All right. Who do you got? By how many? And how's it going to happen? I think it's going to be Cincinnati. It's going to be a good defensive struggle. Uh, the front line of the Rams are going to sack Burrow a couple times, but there are going to be times where he gets away. I think Chase is going to burn the secondary. The times when Burrow can stay upright and have time to throw, I think Chase is going to burn the secondary. If they throw slants over the middle, that guy can take it to the house like uh, Jerry Rice and John Taylor, and I think they can go deep too. I mean, Jalen Ramsey got burned against a few teams so far. He got burned against the 49ers and the Bucks. So I think it's going to come down. It's going to be another nail biter. It's going to be it's going to be the the concluding of the season. I think it's going to be a last second field goal and a rookie from Florida. It's going to nail one. I think it's going to be 27-24 Cincinnati first championship for the Bengals. Wow. Now, if it goes as, as some of the playoff games have gone uh, for Cincinnati, <clears throat> you're going to have uh, a Ram Ram uh, first half. <clears throat> they are going to uh, wreak havoc. Aaron Donald is going to, uh, man, pressure uh, Burrow, you know, like he's never seen before. That Donald, that dude, he is he's special. You know, we were texting last night about, you know, all-time yeah. defensive tackles. He, I mean, you got to throw him in there too because he is so squatty and so strong. You have to double, triple team him. Yeah, he's, he's going to go down with uh, Lily and Olsen and Joe Green. Oh, yeah. They, they, I even if we even four defensive tackles, I take that as a front four all-time. Oh, yeah. I mean, Alex Karras was great too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the first half, the Rams – are going to probably be able to get to him because, I mean, mm-hmm. Tennessee got at him, what, seven times in the first half? Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything to him. He's, I guess, the new Joe Cool uh, Burrow is. So I'm predicting it's going to probably go like it has been. Uh, the Rams have Cooper Cup, and, man, that dude, he was on my fantasy team this year and uh, scored a lot of points uh, with him. But – uh They'll all have to uh, figure out some kind of adjustments to to make. I don't think Cincinnati will show their hand early, maybe make some slow adjustments. But uh, I kind of agree with you that second half is going to be different. You're going to see Cincinnati come alive. They're going to uh, start exposing Jalen Ramsey for who he is. Now, he's good. He's not Deion Sanders. But he's better than uh, some of the guys that uh, I've seen play at Jacksonville. But uh, he, his, his main thing is he tries to uh, get under your skin, and if, and if it doesn't work, then he loses his cool. And you saw where he got a fifteen thousand uh, dollar fine for unsportsmanlike conduct here lately. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking Cincinnati is going to win. And it's going to be a shootout. And I'm thinking it's going to be like a 35-38. And it could be a 38-37. But uh, I'm with you. The uh, the kicker for Cincinnati 
who does not have blood in his veins. He has ice in his veins. Oh, absolutely. He is going to uh, uh, kick the winning field goal, and Cincinnati will be the model for the Jaguars to uh, pattern themselves after. Uh, I think uh, Joe Burrow wins his uh, Super Bowl ring, his MVP, and next year they probably don't win a single game. Mm-hmm. And if he, does, if he does that, he'll be the first quarterback to win a Heisman, a national title, and a Super Bowl. Oh, wow. That would be something. That'd be something. But uh, I like uh, the Oklahoma guys on uh, Cincinnati. I like to see those guys win mainly. Joe Mixon and some dry P. Ryan, see them guys win. So uh, with that, let's I'm going to let you go and wrap this up. I appreciate you coming, buddy. No I, problem. It's uh, great talking to you all the time, my brother. So uh, Thank you. enjoy uh, your your day. And tell your wife, uh, I said hello, and keep feeding you.